seriously popular. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. In today's episode... When will Emmy Martinez learn his lesson? Were Man United right to park the bus at Anfield? And do we really need the nonsense that is the Club World Cup? I'm Ian Lederman. I'm Mike Keegan. And it's all kicking off. Hello and welcome to It's All Kicking Off from Mail Sport. Now, Chris isn't here today, which does feel a little bit strange. Mondays don't really feel the same for me if they don't start with him being rude to me for 45 minutes. Uh, but we have a very worthy replacement sitting across from me in his chair because Mike Keegan, our sports news correspondent, is here. Now, welcome, Mike. Um, we know that you are expert on all things Manchester United, especially behind the scenes, um, boardroom level, etc. And we are going to get round to plenty of Manchester United chat before long, um, without dwelling too much on what was a desperately disappointing game at Anfield uh, yesterday. But first of all, let's go to uh, West London, Brentford versus Aston Villa. I woke up this morning feeling as though I was a little feeling as though I was a little bit of an Ollie Watkins fan after yesterday. Don't know about you. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's You see it every week, the amount of stick that footballers get. I mean, yesterday you watched in the Liverpool United game and it was about five minutes after kickoff. One of the United players, I can't remember who it was, runs over to take a throw-in in front of the main stand. And there's a Liverpool fan, quite respectable looking, middle-aged <laughs> bloke, and he just stands up and sticks a finger up at him. <laughs> and you're like, if you're giving it out... You've got to take it back. And I loved what Watkins did. It is extraordinary the way that people think think they can behave at football stadiums and by and large are allowed to behave at football stadiums. And like you say, but you see the only the only the only environment I think in which people behave in a similar fashion is when they're behind the wheel when they're behind the wheel of their cars. Everybody behaves differently when they're because <laughs> they think they're incredibly safe. Yeah. Kind of uh, that little kind of box of tin and glass. And it's the same at a football match. When I heard about it, Yesterday, when I was on the way home from the Liverpool game, I did wonder what Watkins had done. You know, I thought, blimey, he's obviously kind of really kind of gone into the gone into the crowd or really got involved. But he absolutely hadn't. He scored a really, really important goal for his team at his old club where he'd been getting murderous stick all afternoon. And he's just stood there and stared at the bloke. Yeah. You know, I mean, fair play. Yeah. And it's not even, you get all this nonsense about, oh, should you celebrate when you go back to your former club? I mean, ridiculous. You, Villa are paying your wages. You yeah. celebrate. But he didn't, it wasn't even that. He's basically just, and he's, I like that he's clarified it after the game. And he's basically said, look, this guy was giving me abuse the whole game. He was abusing my family. He's quite, he was asked, was there any racist element yeah. to it? And he's quite, he said, no, 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 it, it was nothing like that. It was just abuse. He's got every right to give it back. I love it. We, we should have more of that. And he wasn't, and he wasn't dialing back from it either, was he, in that interview? He was asked, would you do it again? Yes. Absolutely. Have you any regrets? No. Apparently his old manager, Thomas Frank, had a word with him about it afterwards. And again, he was very much saying, as, I, I did it and this is why I did it. I'm still your mate, but I, you know, I still love this football club, but I'd do it again. Um, he, Watkins, now he's on a, a great run of form. I've had some reservations about him previously. I wasn't sure that he was a kind of dead-eyed goal scorer, the type, type you know, the kind of uh, ice in your veins goal scorer that you need to do very well in the Premier League. But his stats are beginning to prove me wrong. That was his 21st Premier League goal in the calendar year yesterday, which equals for Villa a Dwight York record 
from 1996. I, I, I'm loathe to say this. Have we got, have, has England got a deputy for Harry Kane at last? You'd hope so. Yeah. And everything is pointing to say that we have. You know, Villa, if results go a certain way, will be top of the Premier League at Christmas. And he is a massive part of that. Mm. And he, you're always a little bit wary when somebody bursts onto the scene and it's like, are they just on a purple patch? I think there is now a body of evidence that suggests that this is the guy. He's finishing is, you know, he's a dead eye. Mm. And if Harry Kane, heaven forbid, comes a cropper, then I think we've got a ready-made replacement. He's not, he isn't Harry Kane. Um, but nobody is. No, but there are lots of other countries in Europe who will be in that competition who would fancy him as their number one striker. Now, um, in that game yesterday at Brentford, there were 10 yellow cards from the 72nd minute onwards. Um, handbags is probably how you, do, how you would describe most of it. However, the, Emilia, the Emiliano Martinez charade, well, two charades, an anniversary, on the on the twelve month anniversary of him behaving like a idiot in the World Cup final shootout in uh, in Qatar, that did leave a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. I don't I don't like Martinez no. at all, and he be, and he, he embarrassed himself yesterday. Yeah. He, embar he embarrassed himself yesterday. Yeah. It's the transparency and the hypocritical nature of it. So it all starts when. There's the ridiculous back pass that nearly goes in. Mm. And there's a, a bit of light contact with a Brentford player who probably thinks about him, what we think of him, given he's, he's dropped yeah. his shoulder on him a little bit. And he did, and that's the key, because he did, didn't... But so, what I was going to say was that it was Neil Mopai, and he did put his shoulder in. But when you watch it again, Martinez also makes a move to stand in his path. Yeah. So he knows what he's doing. Yeah. And then he, he goes absolutely flying, like the world's ended. And then minutes later... The tables are turned and then he's the one. Obviously, he has a massive kickoff at, at, at Morpé's rolling about and then he's the one that's having a go at a Brentford player for rolling about after he's banged into him. It's like, come on, like literally seconds ago, you were doing the same thing. Yeah. And he's, he's one of those, look, if you're a Villa fan, I think you love him. And all of us who aren't Villa fans don't like him and the stuff you know it's hard to forget the stuff like that's that's a world cup final when you're behaving like that you know these people are losing a world cup final have a bit of class i think i think he's an idiot if i'm honest yeah i'll, ups I'll, ups I'll upset people by saying that but i but i i, I thought he's an idiot for you i thought he was an idiot in what he did at the world cup final and the fact that he hasn't he's, he's kind of almost worn that as a badge of honor which is pathetic because he should be remembered for making one of the best saves I've ever seen in a game of that magnitude. France would have won that game had he uh, had Martinez not made a brilliant save late in extra extra time. He should be remembered for that. He should be remembered for his penalty saves. He's not. He's remembered for behaving like a moron, and he continues to do it. And he's 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 a very very good goalkeeper, but he's a bit but he's a he's a bit of an idiot. He, he shouldn't excuse Mope. Mope did barge into him. That was stupid. Also, but Pommy Martinez, he's got a track record for it. So he's the one that people and people as people like us end up talking about. And the one thing I thought was telling was while he was lying on the ground after the Mopé barge, as though he'd been you know shot down by you know a hail of bullets. One of his own teammates is yeah. actually standing over him, holding his hand down as if to say, "Come on, mate, get up. Yeah, let's get on with it. Let's see this game out." Yeah. You know, so um, look, but that shouldn't take away from what uh, from what Villa are doing. Incredible um, run of results, great comeback yesterday. Um, Thomas Frank was wrong, by the way, equally to say that Ben Mee shouldn't have been sent off. That that was a, that was a red card. So part of the damage that was inflicted on Brentford, I would say, was um, self 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 inflicted. Um, now there was a little bit more uh, yellow card controversy in the game at Anfield. Um, Right at the end, didn't didn't affect the outcome, thankfully. Now it was Diego Diogo, Diogo Dallo, wasn't it, who took received two yellow cards in the space of ten seconds for two different lots of descent. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, anyone who's been on the moon, so uh, United are uh, Liverpool are wrongly given a throw, and it should have been a United throw. Dallo um, goes off at the referee who gets the yellow card. And while he's getting the yellow card out, he continues to go off at him. So he gets another yellow card. I don't know, I don't know what you made of that. 
I think the first thing I made of it was I was grateful that it gave us something to talk about Correct. on here because that was an awful, awful game. It's just the consistency played out. Like I get, you know, technically he's given the referee a load, so he's had a yellow card, and then he's carried on, so he's had another. But in the very same game, your mate, Darwin Nunes, gets booked and sarcastically applauds mm. after he's booked. Why is he not sent off? Like, and Dallow, you know, it, it's, Correct. Yeah. it's a huge game for Manchester United that... They're under a hell of a lot of pressure. They're on the verge of getting a point that none of us thought they'd get. He's sprinted almost the length of the pitch. He's won his team a throw-in in front of his own fans. And the referee says, no, that's that's a mm. Liverpool throw-in. Like, I get it. I get, you know, yes, referees need more protection. And a lot of the time, players go over the top. That wasn't one of them. And like, I know we don't want to get dragged down onto VAR again, but it's there to stop clear and obvious errors. Well, yeah, there isn't a clear and obvious error because he's given dissent twice and he's had two yellow cards. But the whole thing that's triggered it was a clear and obvious error. So it just it just left a really sour taste in the mouth. I, I, I totally I'm totally with you on the new nesting. Um Nunes is a port portal game generally yesterday, like lots of Liverpool's creative players did. And we'll get onto that in a minute. Um you're right about the new nesting. I thought it at the time. And I I'm I'm I regret saying this because I generally try to be Christian, I generally try to be supportive of refer supportive of referees on this podcast. But I do think it was one of those where it was probably easier to send Dallow off because it was 30 seconds from the end of the game. Yeah. It's not so easy to send a Liverpool striker off Anfield in the first half. So I'm not saying that was the reason, but it feels a little bit like it was. But the flip side of that is that given that we are in halfway through a season where one of the stated aims of officials is to, is, is to crack down on dissent, and I think so far... I'm very, very encouraged by the fact that the referees are sticking to it. But because they are sticking to it, there will occasionally be collateral damage, i.e. there'll be one, there'll be a yellow card given that maybe shouldn't have been. And I'm afraid that Dallow is the collateral damage this week, which which means that I have some sympathy for him, but I don't have particularly particular sympathy for the dozens of offenders who are still not learning a lesson every weekend. Arteta's, Mikel Arteta, the Arsenal manager, has been booked again. Uh, Gary O'Neill was booked, um, albeit maybe harshly, uh, at the West Ham game, the Wolves manager. Um, Thomas Frank was was booked. So they're not learning and the players aren't learning. And until they do, this will continue. And I don't know about you, mate, but I'm quite comfortable with it because if you're going to... As I've said to Chris before, if you're going to set out with an objective of eradicating one of the great ills of our game from our game, it's going to take a while. You need to keep doing it. Yeah, and I think, to be fair to the referee yesterday, he will not have seen what we've all seen, that that's a poor decision. So you, you trust your assistant referee to make the right call. So he will have seen that. He'll he'll think that that's a Liverpool throw-in. So he's just going off a player that's given him a mouthful. He's told, if you get a load of grief, then you give them a yellow card. It's carried on. He's given him another. And as you say, it will have been, I would have thought, at the back of his mind that we are about a minute away from mm. the end of this game. So I agree on that one. But if you're Dallow, you've got every right to feel aggrieved because you'll look at it. You know, they got it wrong. I've complained about something they've got got wrong, they've got wrong, and I've been sent off. There will come a point, I hope, because the, this is where we need to get to. And I've said to, I've said before, you can't turn an ocean line around in thirty seconds. And the 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 culture of dissent in our game is so deeply ingrained that you can't expect it to stop as soon as they introduce new uh, guidelines. But what I do hope is that at some point soon, a player will go to open his mouth to give an official a mouthful and the, that penny will drop. And like, oh, I can't do this. And, he, and that's the point we need to get to. And I'm afraid until we do, we are going to see more, in inverted commas, needless yellow cards. We are going to see mistakes. Personally, I think it's a, a price worth paying for where we need, where we want to get to. Now, you've hinted at it yourself. There wasn't much to really to see on the field at Anfield yesterday. Um Post-game was actually more interesting than in-game um, on Merseyside yesterday. And I'm talking about Virgil van Dijk um, suggesting that 
only one team wanted to win. Um, Roy Keane slightly losing the plot about that. Uh, surprise, surprise, in the Sky Studio. Daniel Sturridge, who's sitting next to him, trying to intervene and getting one of those looks from uh, <laughs> from Roy Keane that you know we you, you and I probably used to get from our head teachers back in the day. Um, Mike, uh, what what do you make of all that? First of all, was Van Dyke right to, to to kind of feel a bit uh, to be a bit sniffy about United's approach or not? Yeah, I don't see why not. I think he's looking for, he's obviously very, very frustrated. United have set out how they've set out and he will be looking for a little victory because obviously they've not managed it on the pitch. So it's like, well, what can I do? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll go and speak to the telly and tell them all about how delighted the big rival is with a point and how furious we are. I think he overstepped it a little bit when he said we were superior in all departments. For me, aside from the Alexander-Arnold shot, United had the best chance yeah. of that game. And Hodgland, yeah. you know, he gets a lot of lenience and a lot of people saying, oh, well, they never create any chances for him. Yeah. Regardless, the facts are they spent a hell of a lot of money on him and we are now getting on for Christmas and he's still not scored in the Premier League. Mm. But aside from that, I love it when Keane comes on. Do you? <laughs> it's absolute <laughs> box office. I'd gone out, I was watching it at home and I'd gone out to make a cup of tea and I come back in and he's ranting and I'm like, oh, something's happened here. So I, I rewind it yeah. to see what's happened and see what Van Dyke said. And I loved that Sturridge is next to him. Trying yeah. to interject. And part of me's thinking, when Keane's banging on about, you know, however many years, 33 years, whatever it is, part of me's thinking, is he having a subtle dig at Sturridge here? Because Sturridge w was a part of some of that, obviously, yeah, after yeah, Keane was, yeah. was playing. And Keane's right. He's, you know, Liverpool came to Old Trafford and got a point in his his era, many you know on many occasions they'd have they'd have settled for a point. It's football. It's cyclical. Yeah, United are in a very long cycle of of no success. But at this moment in time, they're up against it. We all thought they'd get pasted. And Ten Hag, to his credit, has set his team up to get a point. They've frustrated Liverpool. They've had the best chance of the game. So I do think he was a bit disrespectful. But I can't see why he said it. I don't. Yeah, I don't think he was arrogant to, to, answer, to kind of answer my own question. I don't think Van Dijk has been arrogant. I think he was uh, making his point, like you say, maybe just out of frustration or maybe he was making his point to make a wider point going forward. I don't know. But, um, but equally, the keen storage thing, I was sitting in the press room by that point at Anfield and the TV in the press room at Anfield is about the size of this room. It's absolutely enormous. And I was sitting right in front of it. So I almost felt as though kind of Keane and storage were sitting on top of me. And the the, the atmosphere in that, TV studio at that point in, at that point was such that I couldn't help but imagine what Keane would have made of Sturridge if he'd have found himself in the dressing room with him. Sturridge, deeply talented player, very very good, ta very talented footballer. Unfortunate with injuries. Um, I'm not sure that he's a type who would have got an awful lot of sympathy from Keane when he was struggling with those injuries during his career. So I like to bet that. Look, Keane can be a bit pantomime, Keane can't. He can be a bit of a parody of himself. Um, but what you can't accuse him of is faking it yeah. because that the simmering irritation was written all over his face during that exchange. Now, to the point, to the wider point, is it ever okay for Manchester United to go to Anfield and play in that in that fashion because I'll answer my own question first of all because I actually think it is but I don't know what you think yeah I agree I think it sticks in the throat a little bit a lot of my mates United fans and and on a normal Sunday given the rivalry given the hatred let's let's mm. go there's a mm. lot of hatred yeah you can't expect a United team to go to Anfield and not have a go but then you look back to in Ferguson's time some of United, it was very rare United went to Anfield and, and dominated. Them. Never happened. There was so and vice many, versa. Yeah. And there were so many scrappy victories. And even, you know, Liverpool's period of domi dominance at Anfield, United could scrape the odd, odd win here and there. So it's not, you know, they got beat 7-0 last year. And it, it, that was March. You know, mm. it's not even that long ago. So we know, you know, they got beat by Bournemouth 3-0. At home. Hadn't scored at Anfield since 2018, I yeah, think, as well. There's a strike. What's the stat about a strike? There's been no striker score there from mm. since, honestly. So, against that backdrop, and, you know, they play Bayern Munich and they need to win again to get one shot mm. on target. So, all that happens there, in my opinion, if United go there and go for it, is they get another smashing. 
So for me, he had every right. And what's interesting, I said about a lot of my friends being United fans, I think there's a clear split now at United where the fans are either on the side of the manager or on the side of the players. And almost all of my friends came out after that and, and said, what a result that is for Ten Hag. Totally okay to play like that. Nottingham Forest won a European Cup final against Hamburg back in the day, playing like that, scoring a goal and then spending the rest of the time on the edge of their own box. Jose Mourinho won Jose Mourinho won a Champions League with Inter playing like that. And and what frustrates me about this criticism is it's lazy because it presumes that it's easy to set a team up like that. People presume the hard bit in football is creating teams that want to score goals. Well, there's two, there's two things that football is about. The other bit is not conceding goals. And if you think it's easy to, to go to a place like Anfield and play a team who haven't failed to score at home for four centuries or whatever it feels like and do that when you're down on your luck and when you're down on your numbers, I don't think you know much about football. That was a, that was a masterful Ten Hag defensive uh, display yesterday yeah, it wasn't great for the game it wasn't great for tv but there wasn't... is a beauty in that isn't there of course there? there is there totally is that absolutely is it requires organization and intelligence and uh, tactical smarts from the coach and it in and it and it requires a, a heck of a lot of hard work and discipline and selflessness from your players all those things that people like you and i have been saying that my united aren't capable of for once might only be for 95 minutes but they did it Liverpool's midfield yesterday. Um, now, I know McAllister wasn't playing. Um, there's Zobazlai and Endu and Graven back. Of all the fuss that was, because that, that's why I thought they were weak yesterday. I think Zobazlai's a good player, but he was poor yesterday. I'm not sure the, the other two are quite good enough for, for what Liverpool need. All the fuss about Jordan Henderson going to Saudi. If he was at Liverpool, he'd be in the team. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, you'd have if he'd have stayed, he'd be in the team. Yeah. You would have preferred the other Endo than the one you got yesterday. Um, <laughs> He changed it, didn't he, Klopp, in the second half? And that, yeah. to me, spoke volumes about his midfield. And you look at you know, Liverpool's rivals this year, City, there's a Rodri. Mm. Arsenal, there's a Declan Rice. Oh, God, yeah. Who's Liverpool's version yeah, of that? Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Well, it was it was Fabinho, wasn't it, in the in the, the title year, in the Champion, Champions League final years. I just think that one of the reasons that Henderson, and I really think we, we, we've disputed a lot of Jordan's reasons or stated reasons for going to Saudi. I think one of the reasons that we don't dispute is that he'd been told by Klopp that he wasn't going to get as much game time and he couldn't cope with it. I just think that if it had stayed, given that they didn't manage to sign Casado in the end, I think if he'd have stayed, he probably would be in the team. I just think he might, I just think he might be in the team. Gal Southgate thinks he's good enough to play for England. You know, um, United, United takeover. <clears throat> You've been across this right from the start. You're the, the guy who broke the original story about the Qatari interest in, in buying United, et cetera. You, you know, people at, at, at Jim Ratcliffe's Ineos, Ineos group. Where are we at? Um, when's it going to be sealed? More to the point. Uh, what they're going to do with the stadium, and are they going to buy any players in January? I appreciate I appreciate that's about nine nine questions in 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 one there, but but very quickly, where are we at with all that? Yeah, so, so where we're at with the takeover, uh, I checked in on this last night. The hope is still that it will be announced before <clears> Christmas. In the coming days, were the words that were given to me. There's a decent source in the US, without wanting to go too much into mm. that, and that they believe the next few days is still realistic. But one caveat to that is that. Any approval process will take between six to eight weeks. Now, United fans listening might think, oh, well, that's the, the transfer window out of the question. The transfer window, I'm also told, do not expect big moves from Manchester United. And that is nothing to do with the takeover. That's all about financial fair play and where they are on the balance sheet. So I was told that the bits of business that you might expect are Jaden Sancho out on loan, if you can find the right move for him. And... Donny Van B, I didn't even know he was still playing for United, <laughs> mm. uh, a loan move out for him. So it's not as though this gets announced and all of a sudden there's all these players that mm. Sir Jim Ratcliffe's group has got lined up and in they come. Um, what were the other questions? Uh, the other eight questions. Uh, no, the, the main the main other question was was just about, about the stadium. And if you don't know, then you don't know, because I know there's still a lot of uh, speculation and um, kind of guesswork about it. But if anyone knows, it'll be you. United fans still want to know, are we knocking it down? Are we just going to uh, recondition and rebuild the Bobby Charlton stand? Or are we just going to kind of uh, polish the floor? Uh, which which way do you, if you had to kind of put a couple of quid on it, which way is the wind blowing on that one? So there was talk of 
an injection of £250 million mm. pounds, uh, for infrastructure. From Ineos. Quite, from yeah. Ineos, yeah. Now, United went away 2022 and got the architects to come up with a load of proposals for everything for mm. Old Trafford, for whether that, and I think you brought the story later about mm. knocking it down and starting again. Uh, and they went away and they did that and they brought back all the different proposals at a cost of up to, I think some of them were north of a billion quid for the, for the whole kit and caboodle. 250 million quid from people that I've spoken to is not enough now to knock down the Sir Bobby Charlton stand, mm. given the increase of costs, what that would entail. So for me, my, my intel from the Ineos side is that their priority is sorting out what happens on the pitch, rightly or wrongly. You, you go to Old Trafford a lot. Um, that it needs a lot of work. I don't think it's going to get that work. It would surprise me if they didn't do anything, but I think it will be more kind of a, of a cosmetic facelift, if you could call it that. You might notice a few, you know, lick of paint here and there. And the corporate thing is the big thing. That's that's the revenue driver. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Prawn Sandwich Brigade got some nice new suites to sit in. Um, but I wouldn't expect wholesale changes to Old Trafford. Hold that thought. We'll be back right after this. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Still in Manchester. Uh, Manchester are in Saudi Arabia. They drew with Crystal Palace um, at, at the weekend. They're still kind of stuttering a little bit. They're in Saudi for the Club World Cup. Now, anyone who's ever come within a country mile of this podcast will know my views on the Club World Cup. It's, I'd rather go, I'm serious, I'd rather go and watch it I don't know, I think I'd rather go and watch a football match at my local at my lo- local school than tune into Manchester City versus Urara Red Diamonds on Tuesday. I think it's a nonsense. I think it's a money-making uh, facility for FIFA. Uh, I could go on, but I have before. Your view? I wouldn't necessarily disagree. Um, <laughs> there has been a knock-on effect already at Manchester City on the staff who I'm led to believe aren't too happy that their Christmas party has been cancelled on the back of that. And to be fair to City, they put on like a lavish do every year and it's quite often that the players will turn up, which is nice, you know, show a Mm, bit of solidarity mm. with the staff. That's been cancelled this year because obviously the players and the two plane loads of support staff that they've got Mm. are out of the country. Um, City have said to each department, you can take your own staff out and they've given them £50 per head. Now, I don't know about you, Lado, but £50 per head even for food in Manchester. and drink on a night out. Yeah, even in Manchester. that's Once you've paid for your food, what's that? Well, Half that's, a pint of Boddington's? That's basically, an, that's basically an, an Uber to McDonald's and, and, a, and a happy meal and an Uber home. I think that's where that, where that is. Well, uh, I mean, that's, I mean, look, if that was me, I mean, don't don't you tend to have a better Christmas party when the boss isn't there? So the fact that Pep and, Pep and um, Tiki Bagiristan, et cetera, and Fran Soriano aren't there, I mean, that's let your hair down time, isn't it? True, but then you'd probably want Jack Grealish there if you uh, if that was your aim of the evening. You know what? You're not wrong there. You'd want Jack at the bar, wouldn't you? Um, but, uh, but so look, City are there, Club World Cup. They know they'll, they'll, they'll beat your R Red Diamonds. I would imagine they'll then play someone else uh, on Friday in the final, and they may well win that, and they'll come home and everyone will forget about it and go back to football that matters. Now, on a more serious note about the Club World Cup, um, we know that, that FIFA wants to expand it. They are going to expand it um, from the summer of 2025. The World Club, the World Club Cup, will be a summer tournament, 32 teams uh, in group stages just like a kind of mini world cup for clubs it'll last a month to win it you'll have to play seven uh, games to win it uh, city and chelsea will be our two representatives in the first one 
it's just to me, it's just a, it's just a, a, an even greater another invasion on the football calendar. Uh, the footballers' uh, uh, union, FIFPro, have come out very hard against it and said overnight, this demonstrates a lack of consideration for the mental and physical health of players, as well as a disregard for personal and family lives. That's quite strong. I don't disagree with it. I have to ask you, Mike, when are we going to realise in football that less is more? We can't keep asking these players to go to the well and deliver, can we? No. And the PFA, I know Mehta Malango, the, the new chair there, is is very much of the opinion we are at that point. Look at the injuries. Look at what's happened with the World Cup last year taking place in the middle of the season. Um, it is too much. I know people think about footballers and the amount of money they get paid and you know the sports science and the training. It's just too much. You, you just cannot play all these games without breaking down. One thing I'd say, that you said 2025 when these changes come in. Uh, that's, that'll be the first one, the summer of 2025, yeah. So by then Chelsea will be all right because they'll probably have about 50 players in the squad, won't they? 50 more players in the squad, <laughs> yeah. I'd imagine. That's right. They will be able to, 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 to take one first team to that and leave another one at home. But... It, but also, I think from a, a, a supporter's point of view, I mean, you and I are in this job because we love football, right? But I don't need to watch. I've got we've got a European Championship this summer coming up, and then two years after that, there'll be a World Cup uh, in America. I can I can cope with, with a summer without football, given that the season only finishes in June and starts again in August. C- can't you? I mean, how much football do we need to watch? Yeah, absolutely. One thing I would say is we're probably in a privileged position because we know that we've got the best league in the world. So we don't need Chelsea and Manchester City to go and beat some team from Australia that we've never heard of. Like, it's of no interest to us. Perhaps for fans of clubs in other countries, they'd, quite, they'd be quite keen to get a look at their team going up against the best on the planet. So maybe we are a little bit snobbish on that, but I agree it's a nonsense to have that many games, to have your seasons interrupted, to have the clubs involved shipped, you know, halfway across the world at a time when there's already too much strain on players. To me, it just smacks of money making. Now, in terms of resting players and player tiredness, all the rest of it, it is, it's the League Cup, as we like to call it, the Carabao Cup this week. Quarterfinals, it does feel a bit squeezed in before Christmas, but that's that's the way it is. There's some four cracking looking games, by the way, including Port Vale versus Middlesbrough. Yeah. What a night that will be at the Wembley the Wembley of the North, as they call it, <laughs> Vale Park. But West Ham, West Ham who've just come off a you're on a good despite getting Shellock five nil at Fulham last week, have are actually on a good run of form. Good performance yesterday, uh, beat Wolves. Um Habit Kudas, uh uh Paqueta just look a superb partnership. Uh terrific purchases those two um now West Ham go to Liverpool Liverpool have got Arsenal at home in the Premier League at the weekend Liverpool are rest players for understandably Liverpool are rest players I really hope West Ham go there strong and David Moyes thinks you know what I'm going to go there and I'm going to win I'm going to really try and win this game and see where we can go in this competition I'm not convinced it will happen you'd, you'd hope so I mean he, he will be trying to balance the workload and you don't know whether that's a big priority for him but you know, how many fans will West Ham have at Anfield? Mm. You know, there'll be a, a huge contingent there. It's it's a if they can get past Liverpool, because there's no city, mm. um, it is a big opportunity for them. And I think with Moyes as well, you know, if this is to be his last season, well then that's a great way to go out. And I think, you know, they've got a decision to make there, West Ham, because it's hard in the Premier League. It's really hard to win matches. And I think he's doing a great job. I know he's not everybody's cup of tea and people think, you know, we want a more forward thinking and rah, rah, rah. It's hard to do what he's doing at West Ham and they are enjoying life at the moment and I think they've got a big decision to make. They're not going to go down, to your point, right? They're not going to go down, obviously. They're equally not going to, well, they probably have an outside chance of getting a European place. But if you're David Moyes, you've not been given a new contract ahead of next season. You're obviously on your way out. They don't want him anymore. He knows that. So it shouldn't matter to him whether they qualify for Europe or not because he's not going to be there. Yeah. If I was him, I would think, you know what? <clears throat> I've given him, I've given you a European trophy last year round. This time, I'm going to do me damnedest to give you a domestic trophy, which not only will be great for me and my players and my CV, it'll serve as a great two fingers to you lot as I, <laughs> as I walk out the door. And when you look at the quarterfinal um, lineup, which I think is Fulham, uh, Everton at home to Fulham, um, 
West Ham at Liverpool, Port Vale at home to Middlesbrough, Chelsea at home to Newcastle. West Ham have got every every right to look at that draw and look at those eight remaining teams and think we can win this. Yeah. We can absolutely win this if we try and don't get all hung up about sports science stats and advice from the kind of medical team about players being in the red zone, all the rest of it, and just think, sod it, I'm going to go there and try and win. Now, talk about big games, really big games. You were at one of the weekend. Weren't you? <laughs> one of the things I like about you, Mike, is that you might have kind of reached the very top in, in your chosen line of work and you've uh, sit here in your very kind of, uh, quite rightly elevated position. But you're an Oldham fan. You're an Oldham fan. And on, uh, I was so happy to find out from your uh, Instagram, whatever it was, that, that you were at Solly Hull at the weekend um, in the National League the as, as Oldham won... Th- Three two. Three two. And I thought I'm gonna ask him on the show about how much it cost to get there, what the pies were like, how much this what was the atmosphere like in the away end, only to get you and find you in the director's box. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the white wine like? It was to be fair to Solly Hull, they do it very well. There was a nice sunset, there was a petty shabbly um, director's was, box. Yeah. Come on, it's good give, afternoon. Give me strength, director's box. But if we can just put that aside to one to one side for one moment, life outside there. There is life outside the Premier League. There's life outside the Football League, isn't yeah. there? And this is one of the things that we probably don't uh, devote enough attention to on this podcast. But we are aware of the fact that tendencies are going up outside the Premier League. Um, and is that the fear? And Oldham have been through the ringer, as yeah. you will know. You've written a very, very, very good book about Oldham. Um, anyone wants to in time for push, Christmas? Anyone short of a Christmas present? Absolutely. Can. Anyone short of a Christmas present? You can have my copy. Um, <laughs> no, but you, you know, you know, Oldham have been through the ringer. Um, how how does it kind of feel at, the, at at that level? There's a lot of joy to be had there, isn't there? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, there is, and we don't pay enough attention to it for mm. me. And obviously, I'm biased, but you know, for Oldham. Our average crowds are around 7,000 this season. Chesterfield, similar. You know, there were 600 Oldham fans at, at Solihull on Saturday. You know, I'd put that up against a lot of teams in League 2, League mm. 1, even the Championship, certainly the away followings. I think it's an absolute disgrace that only two teams come up from the conference. I mean, right. look at your League 2 table, you, you know, your Wrexhams, your Stockports, mm. your Notts Counties. Mm. Why should that be different from, from anywhere, any of the other divisions? Mm. It's a nonsense, sure, I and I know, I know they're working on changing it. It means the same. It winds me up. So if I go away and people say, uh, where are you from? Who do you support? And you say, you've got to explain who they are first. But, you know, I support Oldham. And I get asked, yeah, but who's your team in the Premier League? Who's, who's your big team? Oldham are my big team. Mm. You know, and, and it's the same for Oldham. It's the same for Chesterfield. It'd be the same, you know, for a lot of clubs down there. It means the same. And it winds me up. You get, you know, Everton fans, Newcastle fans to a certain extent, oh, you know, we, we're the loyalist fans in football. We've had it so miserable. We've not won anything for... Mate, our last promotion was in 1991. We've not had a promotion in 32 years. And there was a bit... So Oldham <laughs> went 2-1 up on Saturday and I was sat in with the home fans, if you politely pointed out. And a couple of Oldham fans like jumped the hoardings and were all, not on the pitch, but on the bit off the pitch celebrating. And Disgraceful. One of, one of their fans was similar. He was like, oh, disgrace, big club like Oldham coming here and you're on the pitch. What a joke. And I felt, I didn't say anything, obviously, but I felt like turning around and said, mate, try and have the 30 years that we've just had. Any any bit of joy, you know, we'll probably overreact to because it's been that bad. So I'll, I'll, I'll shut up now. So, no, don't shut up. If, if you, so, if, so, if, so how do Oldham do it then? Given that you know, where Oldham it sits, for those who don't know, kind of essentially in the shadow of kind of uh, Manchester one way and not terribly far from kind of the Pennines the, yeah. o- the other way. So you've got all these uh, big clubs kind of literally on your doorstep. How do you do it if you're Oldham? How do they do it? How do they get kids invested um, emotionally? How do they get people invested financially to come to games when they can watch all the big teams on the telly or if they can get a ticket, they can just get in the car and go down the road and watch it Watch it for real? How do they do it? I think part of it is a disillusionment with football at the top level. I'm probably biased, but there was no VAR at Solihull. Mm. You know, we, we won 3-2 and I'm not sat there wondering, you know, I went to the United-Chelsea game, for example, and there were a couple of instances there where, you know what it's like at United, the scoreboard's tiny, nobody knows what's going on, it takes all the enjoyment out. So I do think we pick up fans of City and United. It's cheap, if you're a kid, to get in with an adult. Um, So we've got, 
you know, there's a vibrant section behind the goal of about six, 700. They call me Atleticos. And it's like our ultras, as cringy as that sounds. But it's great. The atmosphere now, you know, I was fortunate when I was a kid. My first season ticket was when we got to the League Cup final. I saw us beat um, West Ham. I saw us beat Arsenal, who were, the, who were the champions at the time. Villa were top league. We sent them packing. Plastic those, pitch. Plastic pitch, obviously. 19,500 in every game. I would say the atmosphere now in non-league with 700 kids behind the behind the goal is on a par with what it was then. Mm. So it's a good afternoon. And where we're fortunate is we've got a great new owner, local businessman. He's actually currently rowing the Atlantic. Yeah, yeah I've read that. Yeah. He's 70-something, isn't he? Yeah, 73. Yeah. He, he's already the oldest man to row single-handedly across the Atlantic and he's trying to break his What's own his record. What's his name? Frank Rothwell. Frank, we wish you well. Yeah, I was, I was with his wife. Well. <laughs> I was with his wife, Judith, on Saturday on the way to the game and uh, the phone rang and she couldn't get to the phone. So it was Frank phoning her off his boat. Oh, I love that. So he's, <laughs> he's in a bathtub in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and she's sitting next to you swigging white wine. I know Absolute I'd, Merry I know, Christmas. I know where I'd rather be and that's in the, in the bloody bathtub with, with Frank. Um, anyway, um, look, what I'm really pleased about and I think what everyone should be pleased about um, today is that we are sitting here having our usual... Um, knock about nonsense, um, some of it semi-serious, some of it not, talking about football. Um, when on Saturday afternoon, uh, when I, like everybody else, picked up the news of what had happened to Luton's uh, Tom Lockyer at Bournemouth, I think we all started to worry about if if the world is about to change in a very, in a very tragic way. Our reporter, uh, Adam Mattel, was at Bournemouth on Saturday um, Mate, could you just um, just tell us a little bit about w- what it was like when when you realised that that Tom had gone down? And just to remind people who don't know, um, Tom uh, Lockyer suffered a cardiac event in the playoff final at Wembley uh, last May, um, and co- uh, subsequently had surgery and was cleared to play, and um, uh, unfortunately had a cardiac arrest during the game on Saturday. Sorry, Adam, you were there, mate. Just tell me a little bit about what about what that was like. It was a minute after Bournemouth equalised in the second half and play was actually going on in the Luton half of the pitch. So, I mean, my view was looking on that side and suddenly you've just seen a guy on the floor drop down, players rushing to him and to his credit, Rob Edwards, I think, realised instantly what had gone on and without even waiting for the referee, he's ran onto the pitch and medics have come on and there was about a minute or two where you were sort of wondering what had happened. And then obviously we got the footage there where we'd seen he just collapsed completely off the ball, unrelated incident. The first player actually to get to him was Philip Billing, who recognised straight away away for medical attention. And it was a really sort of weird and sad 10 minutes where you sort of, obviously knowing it was Tom Lockyer, knowing what happened in the championship final, where you were hoping and praying for the best, but in all honesty, fearing the worst because, I mean, we've seen it before with Ericsson, with Moamba, but I can't, well, from my memory, we've never seen it happen to anyone twice, never mind twice in the space of seven months. And, I mean, you could see, I mean, Ethan Kabori, the 22-year-old lad from City, he was towards the press box side and he was just down on his knees praying. I mean, you, you couldn't control him. I think Philly Lewin staff tried to get to him because he'd obviously seen it. I think a lot of them, in that moment, obviously a lot of them thought, what well fearing the worst actually and just quickly before we uh finish um adam terrific uh reception and reaction from both sets of supporters on saturday which was uh uplifting on what was a pretty difficult afternoon for everybody yeah i think i mean the news coming from most of parties whether it's Luton and the premier league is obviously the first concern is his health and his welfare um I think the interesting thing with this one, obviously, is he was given the all clear in the summer. Um, the same surgeon that actually operated on Ericsson operated on Lockyer in London shortly after the playoff final. And once they'd done the tests and everything, they considered that, you know what, he's fine. He's given the all clear. He can play football. And to be honest, he played, what, 15 out of 16 Premier League games going into Saturday. Played 90 minutes in all of them. But one, it was a couple of weeks ago, he went off at, um, Brentford in a completely unrelated injury and that was a, a knee injury so I mean you'd have thought it was fine and obviously this came as pretty much a shock and from what we understand is essentially I mean without speculating too further on um, there's obviously going to be some sort of review into what the protocol was to allow him to play again once they determine the cause of this incident um, the one that happened in June was 
a different uh, condition. It was an atrial fibrillation, which is essentially the heart being a lot quicker. This one's an actual cardiac arrest. So yeah, I think the first thing for Lewin is to determine, obviously, well, the medics to determine the cause of Saturday's incident, seeing obviously how related it is. And then I guess that's probably a decision for them as employers to make in any sort of employee-employee relationship alongside Lockyer as to where they push on from this. Happily, um, um, Tom's in, in hospital, being looked after. We wish him well. Thanks for joining us, Adam. We appreciate that, mate. Right, Mike, we always finish uh, this show with a little bit of levity. Um, I think that's the right word. Not often enough brevity, but certainly a bit of levity. Moments of the weekend, moment of the weekend. I will let you go first because you're our guest. So aside from Oldham's stunning 3-2 victory at Solihull, um, put something in the column last week about Matt Taylor, the new manager <laughs> at Bristol Rovers, and he'd upset some of the players because they were all set to go to Dublin, I think it was, for their Christmas due after their game last weekend. And he's obviously he's come in and replaced Joey Barton. He said, no, not a chance. You need to sort your form out on the pitch and we need time on the training ground. And as I said, a few of them were like, oh, it's not great. Um, they've responded by going to Bolton, who were flying high and winning 2-1. And as someone who thinks that Christmas parties are a waste of time anyway, shouldn't say that we've got a hot on Wednesday night <laughs> other than ours. Fair play to Matt Taylor. It's nonsense. People dressing up in Santa outfits. Correct. Forced fun. Correct. Just go out and have a few beers if you want. Correct. That's, you know, this this Christmas nonsense. So right. moment of the week goes to Matt Taylor. I actually thought you were going to say there that you made them go to Bolton for their Christmas, for their Christmas party. <laughs> Good night out, Bolton. That would be a punishment. Uh, what is it also about play at football is an upset, you know, obsessed going to Dublin on for nights out, aren't they? Why don't you just go down the local for God's Well, you can sake, tell they're getting paid too much because what is it for a pint of Guinness now in Dublin? About 11 quid. Well, yeah, well, that, that is, that's very true, but they do, they do say it's, they do say it's much better. I'm not sure I've ever bought into that. No. Um, I tell you what, that must be a heck of a shift change, though, mustn't it? Without going in deep into, uh, try and get deep into Joey Barton's, uh, current state of, of mind, um, to go from a Joey Barton kind of regime into, into a different one. Because Joey, um, actually did okay there, um, I thought for a while, but his style, I'd imagine, would be different. To uh, to Matt Taylor's and uh, it's a, it's it's a risk strategy that though isn't it from Taylor to say that you can't have your Christmas party because if that backfires on you especially as a new coach yeah. especially as a new coach first thing you do is cancel the Christmas party you've got to win the game so I'm glad for him that that they did now mine I Chris always has a go at me for doing more than one I've only got two today and the first one's really quick first one's Kai Havertz another good goal from him we, Chris and I spent about a month talking every week about Kai Havertz at the start of the season, what a bad buy he'd been for Arsenal and how he looks like a fish out of water. It doesn't look like that now. So fair play to him. Fair play to Mikola Arteta for sticking with him yeah. and um, and showing him uh, that he believed in him. But what I really want to talk about is, uh, I said I had a bit of Sean Dice in my back pocket. Sean Dice back at Burnley at the weekend with Everton. Hadn't been back since, um, since he was sacked towards the back end of the uh, season before last. Um, so he goes there. And the, um, as is, uh, often, as is normal at football matches, the chairman, the owner at Burnley does a column in the program, doesn't mention yeah. Sean Dyche, Alan Pace. Now, whether it's deliberate, whether it's accidental, it's out of order, you know, because those program notes would have been edited. Yeah. Somebody would have seen him, said, you know what, Alan, maybe just a little line in here, he might just remitted it. If he's done, if he's done it deliberately, then it's pathetic, but we don't know that he did. Well, what I loved about it is Sean's response to yeah. it. They've won the game. Everton have won the game. So it's always easy to be magnanimous and uh, if it's easy, easy for me to say. <laughs> magnanimous, I still can't say it. Uh, generous, generous. So it's easy to be generous on the back of a victory. But he came out and he just said, Sean Dye said, football's a weird business. I don't throw my dummy out. I've done my bit for this club. I've done my years. I shook his hand, said, is everything okay? Nice to see you crack on he says we can all moan about everyone and everything but at the end of the day everybody's got a lot on their plate i just try and take care of mine and get on with it well sean you are taking care of yours pretty well at everton at the moment one of the form teams of the premier league and more power to your elbow mate um i loved what i loved about that as well because it, it, it was just sean dice's day yeah and there's, there's a pub near turf moor that's he's mocked up as a yeah, kid yeah. the royal dice I yeah think yeah it's called and i was watching it on match of the day and the final whistle goes, and they've they've out you know they've outplayed them, yeah. you know. And, and let's not forget, Burnley are one of the teams that are trying to get some compensation mm. out of Everton. Good point. You know, they, and I know there was a lot of 
with the late kickoff, Lancashire Police were a little bit like, mm, you know, might be a bit yeah. of bother here between the Everton fans and the, and the Burnley supporters. Dice has kind of risen above it all. Yeah. The final whistle goes, he's proved his point. And he's at Everton that he's, just feels like everything's made for mm. him. You know, that siege mentality. Even the players he's got, you know, the centre-half mm. Tarkovsky, he's got the Corey midfield, mm. wingers that can mm. cross a ball. He gets out of the dugout and immediately he's applauding all mm. four sides of the ground and it just felt like his crowning moment. I, I thought that and I also thought that Often when you see managers and players go back to their old clubs, they almost feel a little bit conflicted about what to do because you don't want to be seen to be disloyal to your new club. But but also, if you spent 10 years somewhere, it's quite natural. to. And if you were popular and had a good time there and did well, had a good rapport with the fans, it feels kind of right to kind of say hello. You know, you wouldn't go back to kind of your old street where you used to live, would you, and ignore your old neighbours? No, you just no, wouldn't do. Well, well, okay, well, they might ignore you. So, but I, And of course, we all know at Burnley, there's that un unusually long walk from the yeah. tunnel in the corner across the pitch to the dugout. And so it's a long way to go without waving at people. And he's just on the way out. He just waved at everybody. They waved at him and they cheered. Um, and the Everton fans were clearly okay with that. Yeah. And that's the way that football should be and too often is not. Um Emiliano Martinez might need to maybe take a dollar for that and have a look and maybe have a think about that. So we end this show where we start it. Mike, you've been a terrific guest. Um, I think, uh, you know, you've got, you might have a shirt now, mate. Thank uh, you. you. You might have a shirt. Chris might have a, Chris might have a trouble, might have a problem getting through the door when he turns up next Monday. <laughs> His security, security pass might be reversed. Well, if Celtic lose again, he might duck out again. Oh, he can't wait to get on and talk about Celtic. But thank you, mate. Thanks for being with us and thanks everybody for listening. Um, I always ask at this point, please, um, those of us who are loyal, those of you who are loyal to us, please like and subscribe, uh, this, um, the show. It's really, really important. Um, to us and what we're trying to do. Uh, thanks for being with us again. Mail Online is the place to go for your all your breaking sports news. Download and subscribe to the Mail Plus app. Chris will be back on Thursday for our It's All Kicking Off weekend preview show that we'll be doing via Zoom. And it is Christmas Day next Monday, but we will be here Maybe not necessarily in these chairs, but we will be here. There will be a show next uh, Monday, Christmas Day. Football doesn't stop and we won't stop. Um, I am Ian Lader in the chap to my left. He's still got a glass of sunset in his hand. Or at least he's Cheers. behaving as though he has. It was Mike Keegan and this has been It's All Kicking Off. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.